Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Cronin, and today we're discussing a major breakthrough in the artificial intelligence space. OpenAI, the nonprofit AI research lab founded by Elon Musk, Sam Altman, and others, has just released the most advanced natural language processing algorithm in existence. It's a big deal when you consider how we've had to interact with machines in the past and what the future of interacting with machines will look like. So in the past, in order to interact with machines, you would need to learn these esoteric programming languages. You'd have to remember all the syntax rules and you'd have to be really careful not to make any mistakes when you're writing your code because one logic error could break the whole app or website that you're building. What if instead of writing code, you could just write out in plain English what you want the computer to do and the computer just understands you and does it? That has been the goal of creating better and better programming languages over the years. And with GPT-3, we are very close to achieving that. I'd like to share a few examples of applications that people have built with the GPT-3 API to highlight the possibilities that this technology has for the future. So one is a website called dbuild.co, where you can write out in plain English what sort of app you want to build, and then it will literally create the code for that app. So in this one example, which I'll show in the video podcast, which is on YouTube, you can actually just type in, I'd like to have the Google logo, then a search box beneath it, an I'm feeling lucky button, and then it literally just builds the app, which is very similar functionality and actually similar quality to what you would get on Google. Another example comes from Jordan Singer and it's in the graphic design space. So Figma is a popular graphic design tool and it requires a lot of know-how and familiarity where you can actually build different apps. But with GPT-3, you can actually just type into this plugin what you want to create in Figma, and it'll just create that for you. So Jordan Singer showed this awesome example where he describes in a simple chat box, I'd like to build an app that has a navigation bar with a camera icon, photos title, a message icon, a feed of photos where each photo has a user icon, a photo, a heart icon, and a chat bubble icon. And then Figma actually creates a very similar design layout for the Instagram app. So this is pretty impressive and it's only really the beginning of where this could go down the line. Another example is an app called Other Side AI where you can quickly write an email in your own personal style just by stating the few bullet points that you want to get across in response. So in this example, someone got an email back about an investment inquiry and rather than writing out the lengthy email and all the nice complete sentences you can just write out bullet points like thanks no our minimum is 150k investment would 150k be possible there's a nine billion dollar market and then it writes out this really well-crafted email that very much sounds like it's written not only in a human voice but in your human voice and you don't have to do any of the work. You can just write out the bullet points that you want to get across. This next example is pretty impressive. So you can also generate code for a machine learning model just by simply saying what you want the model to do in plain English. So in this example, 
You write, I'd like to build a model to classify images into five groups. The data set has 2,500 images with an input shape of 500 by 500 pixels. And then it will create this machine learning model for you, which traditionally creating something for machine learning has taken a lot of expertise and you have to hire a specialist or you have to use some app that requires a lot of development work. But now you can actually create machine learning algorithms just by typing in what you want the model to do. Here's an example that blew my mind. With GPT-3, you can write articles and essays that are so good that you wouldn't even know they were written by an algorithm. So there's a couple of these essays that have gone viral on Twitter because people share them all around. Everyone thinks, oh, this is such an insightful essay. And then at the very end of the essay, they'll reveal this entire essay was written by GPT-3 unedited. So there's one which is a story that's almost like a joke. And here, I'll read this story. It's pretty short, but it'll give you a sense of how GPT-3 sounds when you read it. So there's this famous mathematician, George Cantor. And here's the story. George Cantor, the famous mathematician, was having dinner with some other famous mathematicians at a hotel. At the end of the meal, the waiter brought him the bill and Cantor discovered to his horror that the bill was the sum of two inconsistent infinite series. The one, a simple geometric series, and the other, the harmonic series. Cantor wrote to the manager of the hotel protesting that it was impossible for the waiter to have computed the bill and requested the waiter be sent to talk to him. The waiter came over and started to explain. Cantor, excuse me, but I know the sum of the harmonic series is infinitely greater than the sum of the simple geometric series, so you have erred. Waiter, yes, but you see, sir, the geometric series was for the dinner, and the harmonic series was for the service. So, <laughs> you can already see that this algorithm has a rudimentary understanding of humor, it can write stories, it can write stories about a particular theme, such as mathematics, which actually sound like it has a much deeper understanding than most people have of mathematics. And it's pretty damn impressive. There's this other article about longevity and resets and about how as we live longer, we may need to reset and sort of have different identities throughout our lives. So we don't always have the same persona uh, that we have from when we're born to the time we die. And it's a really insightful point that I haven't heard anyone make before. And yet this too was written by GPT-3. The one that got me was this article about GPT-3 itself, where it gives you the whole lay of the land about why GPT-3 is impactful, what some of the possibilities are, what some of the dangers are. And then at the end, it reveals this was also written by GPT-3. So it's just incredible and it, it fools a lot of people. Like we've already passed the Turing test to an extent and I'm gonna go a little bit deeper into the Turing test later in this episode. But I wanna give one other final example which is equally mind-blowing and super useful. So with GPT-3, you can translate any complex information into something that a second grader could read, an eighth grader could read, or any other level of reading comprehension could understand. So here's the prompt, the example that I saw. My second grader asked me what this passage means, and then he inserts this passage from Wikipedia about quantum computing, which is pretty complicated to understand. It starts with, quantum computing is the use of quantum mechanical phenomena, such as superposition and entanglement, to perform computation. So I won't read the whole thing, but that's what it starts out as. 
And then GPT-3 rephrases this into second grade language where it says, some people think that if you had 100 people working on one problem for 100 years, you could not figure out how to solve it with a regular computer. But if you had 100 people working on one problem for 100 years using a special kind of computer called a quantum computer, you could figure out how to solve it. So that's a pretty good simplified explanation of quantum computing. Now let's see what it looks like when you ask it to translate the same initial passage, but for an eighth grade reading level. Here's the response. When we say quantum computing, we mean computing based on quantum physics. With classical computing, we perform calculations one bit at a time. With quantum computing, we try to take advantage of a superposition between one and zero. This is what we mean by qubits. This allows us to make connections between pairs of qubits using quantum logic gates. Quantum computing allows us to perform computations faster than classical computers. So again, this is an example of taking really complex information and translating it not as simple as a second grade reading level, but simpler so that an eighth grader could understand it, or at least know what questions to ask next and where to direct their research. You could do this for legalese into English or vice versa. So if you're trying to figure out what does this NDA actually mean that I'm supposed to sign, I've seen an example of that built with GPT-3. You can summarize scientific articles, which are oftentimes really complex and hard for the general population to understand. You could also just have next generation smart bots and smart assistants, where you could imagine customer service could be almost completely replaced with GPT-3, and you just have GPT-3 give answers based on your company's FAQs, and you don't even need to hire someone to be customer support. Same thing with your assistant. You could just have this smart assistant do all of the tasks that a traditional assistant would have to do. And I think part of the biggest revelation for me is that when you read enough of these examples of GPT-3, it's clear that GPT-3 is already better than I would say 90% of writers. So it's not gonna be better than people who are truly great writers and they know how to speak to the human condition in a unique way. But if you're just talking about like your average you know, journalist or reporter or just average English speaker trying to write some, a blog post online, GPT-3 is already better than the average person. And this is not the final instantiation. This is really just one milestone on the path to superintelligent AI. Let's talk a little bit about how GPT-3 actually works. So GPT-3 was trained on over 500 billion words to create 175 billion parameters to transform the text. So GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3. So essentially what that means is it's pre-trained on this vast array of data so that it's able to transform any input into a pretty nicely predictive output. What that means is, if you can imagine feeding all of these books and the Encyclopedia, Britan Encyclopedia Britannica and all of this relatively high quality information into the model, then what, how you train it is you essentially give little snippets of what you fed into it and then you have the algorithm predict what the next text will be. 
And so you can run this recursively so it gets better and better at predicting what the next words will be. So in the quantum computing example, it's taken in all of this information about quantum computing and created literally 175 billion parameters to determine which words should come next and in what order. And it's able to, therefore, take a very small input, like a word, a few words, a few sentences, and create any amount of text. You could literally generate an entire book just from a few words. Or you could translate it for different reading levels or into different, uh, different types of outputs, whether that's code or, or graphic design or regular English words. So it's pretty amazing. And I've heard parameters being compared to like neurons in a system where if you imagine some really simple organism, you know, it only has a handful of neurons. So it's not able to really come up with that complex of thoughts or that sophisticated thoughts. But when you have all of these, you know, 175 billion neurons, you can come up with these really complex and sophisticated thoughts. And that's essentially what GPT-3 has allowed us to do. So compared to GPT-2, GPT-2 was a model based on 1.5 billion parameters. GPT-3 is based on 175 billion parameters. So it's 100 plus times more sophisticated than the last version. And in order just to train GPT-3, it costs $12 million from OpenAI because there's a lot of compute power that went into it and there's a lot of training that went into creating the version that we are showing examples of today. A couple other things that are important about how GPT-3 works. One, it's task agnostic, meaning it's not only for one narrow set of tasks. You could really use this for any task that a computer is currently being used for. That means writing prose, poetry, website code, design, pretty much any task. And this is a big difference from a lot of other narrow AI applications we've had in the past is that this is more generalized. And to a large extent, it's only limited by our creativity. Another game-changing characteristic is that GPT-3 requires minimal fine-tuning. So it'll be pretty good at predicting what you want with minimal inputs. However, let's say it doesn't get it right on the first try. You can reorder the inputs or add a little bit of additional context, and it will adapt based on your feedback. So you could imagine what this could eventually become where... Just like how you could email back and forth with your developer team on what you want them to build and, oh, it's not quite right. You could imagine a similar kind of dialogue in the future where you give it an initial set of inputs for what you want it to build. And then you just talk back and forth with this machine about, oh, I want this to be changed. It's not quite right there. Let's try this. Let's adjust that. So you essentially have an AI developer team working for you. And all you need to know is what you want and the English language. And if you're good with just logic and your communication, then you can have some pretty incredible results. Now let's get into whether GPT-3 passes the Turing test. So as a refresher, the Turing test measures an AI's ability to fool humans into thinking they're speaking with another human. And it's not the be-all, end-all of artificial intelligence tests, but it is an important milestone because it shows that we have passed the uncanny valley, that now you no longer have a way of knowing whether you're speaking to a human or a machine. 
Now, there have been some interesting tests done, and they found that in 80 to 90% of cases in one study, people believe GPT-3 written text to be written by a human. Now, that's pretty good. However, when you go deeper into this, it hasn't fully passed the Turing test. If you're a clever, one of those clever 10% of people who are able to ask the right sorts of questions. So I want to just give some examples from Kevin Lackler's blog. And he has some pretty insightful questions that he asks. And you can see what the examples are of responses from GPT-3. Question, what is your favorite animal? Answer, my favorite animal is a dog. Question, why? Answer, because dogs are loyal and friendly. Question, what are two reasons that a dog might be in a bad mood? Answer, two reasons that a dog might be in a bad mood are if it is hungry or if it is hot. Question, how many eyes does a giraffe have? Answer, a giraffe has two eyes. Question, how many legs does a frog have? Answer, a frog has four legs. Question, are there any animals with three legs? Answer, no, there are no animals with three legs. Question, why don't animals have three legs? Answer, animals don't have three legs because they would fall over. And this is pretty good common sense for an algorithm. I think this would probably fool most people. If you, know, if you were talking to a chatbot, you would assume that this is a human given the sophistication of the answers. However, here are some other examples of where GPT-3 falls short. And it seems to be one of two categories where either the question is nonsense or if GPT-3 doesn't know the answer. In either of those cases, GPT-3 will just give an answer, but it sort of makes it seem like, okay, this is not something a human would say. I must be dealing with an algorithm. So here are some examples. Who was president of the United States in 1700? Answer. William Penn was president of the United States in 1700. Question. Who was President of the United States in 1600? Answer. Queen Elizabeth I was President of the United States in 1600. Now, what I find really interesting about this is that they're actually pretty good guesses or approximations, even though the question doesn't make any sense. Because the U.S. didn't exist in the year 1600, but if you had to pick someone who was as close as possible to the President of the U.S. in that time, it would be Queen Elizabeth I. She was the monarch of Britain, which then sent colonists to America. So it actually was a really fascinating answer, even though it's not something a human would say. A human would say, what are you talking about? The U.S. didn't exist in the year 1600. What happens if you ask a question about what will happen in the future, which obviously we don't know the answer to yet? So here are some examples. Question, who won the World Series in 2021? Answer, the New York Yankees won the World Series in 2021. Question, who won the World Series in 2022? Answer, the New York Yankees won the World Series in 2022. This is obviously GPT-3 using its best guess at what's going to happen in the future based on the data we have in the past. And yeah, it is most likely that in any given year in the future, the Yankees will win the World Series. So I thought that was actually fairly impressive. And even though it's not the answer a human would give, like a human would say, of course, I can't tell you who's going to win the World Series in two years from now. But it's a pretty good approximation. And it makes makes you wonder, how good could the Oracle capabilities of AI become? 
Now let's talk about how this technology is going to impact different parts of our society. Let's talk about education. Memorization was a big part of my education growing up. You have to learn all of these facts. You have to remember them. You weren't able to bring a cheat sheet most of the time. You had to have them all in your head, you know, the equations and whatever else. And then you took the test and you basically regurgitated what you had memorized. That has already sort of been waning. You know, I remember my teacher used to say, you know, you got to remember this because you won't always have a calculator in your pocket. Well, it turns out you will always have a calculator in your pocket. Not only that, but you'll also have the ability to search for the answer of basically any question we could possibly ask and get a pretty good answer right in your pocket, which is your phone. So we've already been transitioning out of that traditional rote memorization style of school. What's really mind-blowing about GPT-3 is that you could essentially just give the prompt of what your teacher wants you to write an essay about, and it will give you an A paper, five-page essay, that the teacher can't even search through the plagiarism detection tools because it will be generated de novo by GPT-3. So in the future, it seems like you would have to have written tests that are performed in person in front of a teacher because any sort of essay you write at home could just be written by GPT-3 and you could go through every year of high school and probably even college and not get detected and have you know A's for every paper. So this is a, an amazing shift in education. And I think the future of education is really going to depend not on your ability to even craft the right words or memorize a lot of facts, but it's going to be more about thinking creatively and tapping into what human beings want and sort of acting as a go-between between the human real-life world and the world of machine execution and automated processes. Another area that's going to be majorly impacted is entrepreneurship. So in the past, you used to be limited by the developer talent you had on your team and how effective they are at building apps and websites and other processes that your company will need. Now, if you're no longer limited by developer talent, you can really come up with all sorts of amazing ideas. We saw examples earlier where you can basically rebuild Google and rebuild Instagram in 10 seconds just by writing a few prompts uh, in plain English into a, a text box. So that's pretty amazing. Now, it's quite another skill to know that Instagram and Google will improve people's lives. So I think the role of the entrepreneur is, to a large extent, going to be tapping into what humans want and delivering it to them in a mission-oriented way. And people have already talked about how developer work and coding, it's really like glorified plumbing. I mean, if you come up with an amazing idea for an app and you know exactly what you want it to be, you have the vision, then the people who are building the app are essentially just making sure all the pipes are working and the transistors are connected. And it's, it is a really important task, but it's not necessarily what humans are best at. It's something that definitely machines are better at or they eventually will be better at than any sort of human. So entrepreneurship represents a tremendous opportunity to unleash creativity and build all sorts of new things without being limited 
by developer talent or the developers you can get onto your team. Now this brings up the question of what will the future be of developers and coders? I think for now, it's still really valuable to be a coder and to have that skill. It's probably the number one job if you want to earn a good living right now is to be a coder. I don't think that's going to be the case in the year 2030 and beyond. There are still going to be developers who are building better systems like GPT-4 and really advanced artificial general intelligence systems. But I don't think we're going to have the same vast number of coders building simple HTML websites and simple apps. We've already seen the massive move of the no-code movement where now it's really easy to build websites and apps with just drag and drop boxes and you don't need to actually write any lines of code. This is the next step in that evolution where eventually anything that's pretty much simple and standard and something that a lot of people want to do, you're going to be able to easily build it. You're not going to need to hire a coder or a developer to do it. So I think it's not going to be as desirable of a job in 10 years or even less than that but it's gonna be really valuable for the people who are building the new AGI systems. And so I think that's just a shift. You know, we're kind of surpassing the, the you know, need to create the plumbing and we're more moving into the phase of being a visionary and creating better models that can help millions of people create new apps and websites and plugins. Another space that will change dramatically will be the news, writing, and journalism space. When you think about how already the news industry has been so disrupted by essentially Twitter citizen journalists rather than paid on the ground newspaper journalists who go around and they report back, you could have a totally functioning news site that has totally auto-generated text and articles just based on GPT-3. And if it has the right inputs of data from what's going on in the Twitter sphere or Google News or wherever else, you could write some pretty comprehensive reports on what has happened that day, especially since news is already supposed to be less about adding opinion and more about just reporting the facts. So even beyond news and journalism, I think writing and just coming up with blog posts and content and that could also be seriously disrupted by GPT-3, where rather than hiring all of these content creators, you could just add the headlines of prompts that you want to write articles about, and then GPT-3 writes all the articles for you. Entertainment is another interesting space where not only could you write great screenplays with emotional dialogue and plot twists, you could also potentially one day create animations to go with the screenplays. So you could imagine, maybe not in the next one or two years, but maybe five or ten years from now, where a blockbuster film was entirely written by an AI and all the animation was done by an AI. And it's just based on what the prompt was initially for what type of movie you want to create and all of the data of what movies have been successful and what the typical narrative arc is of movies and all of those sorts of inputs. So you know, I, I don't think we're there yet, but it's definitely something to watch. The final area I'd just like to talk about is jobs and income. How will GPT-3 affect people's ability to get a job and their ability to earn a living? 
So I think this is both a major disruption and a major opportunity. It's a major disruption because a lot of people will lose their jobs. People who translate typical English words into legal documents are going to go away. Same thing with journalists who do that. Same thing with a lot of developers who do that. Same thing with all types of jobs and careers that currently are basically doing what GPT-3 also does, but in many examples, better. However, I think it's also going to unleash this incredible wave of opportunities where now anyone who's a visionary can create their own app, website, blog, whatever they want. So I would say if you want to make sure that you're in a good position with your job and your career, you should definitely look into GPT-3 and think if there are any ways that you could apply it to what you're doing currently and how that might, how you might be able to reimagine your own job and your own career in the future given the capabilities of GPT-3. Now let's take a quick break and then get into the future scenarios. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is a world where you have no idea what was written by a human and what was written by a machine. This isn't necessarily bad, but you could imagine if this is used in disinformation campaigns, it could be taking echo chamber culture to another level. So imagine, let's say you are an authoritarian and you want to spread as much disinformation as possible. You could literally just have GPT-3 come up with endless supplies of content to feed the QAnon people, to feed the anti-vaxxers, any conspiracy theory group that you want to keep agitated. You could essentially just have an endless feed of content for them. So you're basically doing a lot of the work that troll bots currently have to do manually in a very automated way. And I know OpenAI was actually concerned about this even before GPT-3 in the days of GPT-2, where they didn't release it to everyone because they were concerned it would be used for disinformation. So I would say that is a major concern, and that's part of why they have limited beta access to GPT-3, where right now you have to request access to use their API and they can deny you. And I think that's a smart move on OpenAI's part. Another potential bad scenario is to pollute the data for the next version of GPT-3 because we're, sp we're posting so much of the current data generated by GPT-3 on the internet. So if you think about it, GPT-3 was trained on all of this information available online, and they were all written by humans because we haven't really had computer-generated text to a large extent until now. But if you imagine where all of these people are posting their GPT-3-generated text, if that gets fed back into the system to train the next version, GPT-4, then that could pollute the data. And I know that's another concern of OpenAI, so they're trying to basically limit the type of data they feed into the system. And because of that, it's not always taking in all the new information, which is another sort of a weak point. For instance, if you query uh, and you ask questions about Jamal Khashoggi, it doesn't know the answer because it hasn't been trained beyond 
October. I think the latest data it has is September of 2019. So there are still some limitations and we need to be careful that the data we're feeding into the system is good quality data. Another similar flaw with GPT-3 is that there have been examples of racism, sexism, and other biases baked into the results of GPT-3. Now, I'm not going to say these examples because they're pretty offensive, but a lot to a large extent, it's because humans are biased and humans aren't always the nicest people, uh, especially to different groups when you have identity politics involved. So it's something we need to be aware of that we can't just assume all of the data that's been out there thus far is good data because we have a lot of human flaws and human biases that then become part of the data. So we don't want to give too much credence to what GPT-3 puts out without having a second moral lens through which we look at the information and say, okay, this is what the system predicts is right, but is it really right? Is it really represent the type of society we want to live in? And that's something we're going to have to continuously grapple with as these systems get better and better. I would say that's the final worry of GPT-3 is that we're trusting too much in the answers uh, or we could trust too much in the answers, whereas we're not really yet able to debug why the system came up with a particular answer. So this goes to the nature of black box algorithms in general, where I'll, I'll say a quote from Eliezer Yudakowsky, where he says, with GPT-3, we are witnessing an epical shift from trying to build AIs smart enough to do what we want to having AIs that definitely seem smart enough, but that we can't get to do what we want. So I think that's an important point. We have these systems that are really smart right now, but we might not be able to get them to do exactly what we want. So if we trust too much in the results, it could be a scenario of the tail wagging the dog where society is being driven by a flawed algorithm. And because it's a black box, we can't really find out why it made a certain decision. And if this extends to legal decisions, like whether someone should go to jail or not, or hiring decisions, whether someone should get hired or promoted or fired, these obviously have real life implications for people. So we need to be really careful about how much credence we give to the outputs of these machines. Now let's talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. The best case scenario is that GPT-3 unleashes a wave of innovation and productivity growth that we haven't seen in recent years. And it may come just in the nick of time when you consider how many people have been laid off as a result of coronavirus and the economic crisis. And it could enable many people who have lost their jobs to build something new for themselves, whether that's an app, a website, a blog, whatever it is. This is huge and it represents a major opportunity that is, extends beyond developers. So you don't have to, you know, if you were a truck driver, now you got to learn how to code. Well, you might not need to learn how to code. You might be able to just have a great idea that serves real people in the real world in an important way. And you can then create a product for those people. Now, it's unclear how many people will be able to make this transition because the limiting factor is human attention. 
we live in an attention economy where there's only so much time you can spend looking at your phone each day. So whether you're using this app or that app, there's a limited amount of time that you can spend looking at any app. So it's unclear to me whether most people or even many people will be able to make this transition, but it is clear that some people will be able to make this transition. And those people will become incredibly wealthy and capable individuals Uh, sovereign individuals, as Peter Thiel calls them. And that could be really great for our economy as a whole. And I would say that even if most people are not able to make the shift from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things, it may create so much wealth and productivity growth in our society that we have enough wealth to give universal basic income, Medicare for all, and universal education to every citizen. And I think that is what's going to be possible. The question is whether we will have the political will to pass that legislation. Now let's explore the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. The most likely scenario in my mind is that AGI, artificial general intelligence, will be achieved by the year 2030 or sooner. I used to predict that AGI would be achieved by 2050. Now I think it's going to happen much sooner. We are already so close to the stage where you have no idea whether you're talking to a machine or a human. And this has not been released and made available to everyone yet. It's still very limited with beta access that needs to be granted based on a request. But imagine once this sort of technology is ubiquitous, it could totally change how we think about AI and how we think about their limitations. So I would say what's likely to happen is that by the year 2030, we will have machines that are smarter than the average person, where it no longer makes sense to hire an assistant or this person or that person to do this narrow role or that narrow role. Machines will become smarter than humans much sooner than you probably expected. It's a little bit scary, but it's also really exciting and represents a huge opportunity. So I don't want to overhype it. And in fact, I want to end with a quote that will ground us a little bit more in reality from Sam Altman, one of the founders of OpenAI, where he says, the GPT-3 hype is way too much. It's impressive, thanks for the nice compliments, but it still has serious weaknesses and sometimes makes very silly mistakes. AI is going to change the world, but GPT-3 is just a very early glimpse. We have a lot to still figure out. I think that's a great way to summarize GPT-3. It is not the be-all, end-all. There are lots of limitations, lots of things it doesn't get right yet, but it is a glimpse into the future. It's a glimpse into what is going to be possible a handful of years from now. So I would say be imaginative envision the type of world you want to live in and think about how you can leverage technology to help create that world. Thank you for listening. This has been GPT-3 and the future of AI. And I'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future.